0: Thank you. All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in Lesson 75, Psalms 94 and 95. Uh, all right, guys, let's go to the painting just for a second. We got Mindy Oten. If you guys don't know, Mindy is painting uh, one painting per book of the Bible. So by the end of our two-year duration of plowing through 66 books of the Bible, Kevin, how many paintings will we have? 66. 66. And so I'm excited for graduation to take place. I'm excited for us to actually be able to look at all 66 paintings. Now, we know that our word for the book of Psalms is king of glory, that when we look through each chapter, we're always saying, Lord, how does this point to the king of glory that's coming? How do we point to the return of the Messiah that's coming? There's something about the book of Psalms. It's peaceful. And yet at the same time, there's music integrated throughout the whole thing. And so the mentality is, is that every psalm was to actually be sung. Sometimes you'll see it say it's written to, you know, a choir director for the choir director then to communicate to this, to the choir. We, we don't actually know in this context of Psalm 95. Uh, all we see is, it it worship and warning? That's kind of an interesting sub- subtitle, isn't it? Like, all right, Kevin, so we're coming before the Lord. We've got our birds in the background. We've got a harp. We've got a horn. Uh, you got a peaceful river. But when you hear worship and warning, what do you think of? I, th- I think it's the dark clouds on the horizon. They're always right there. But yet we've got to praise the Lord and give, give him honor because he orchestrates it all. That's good. That's pretty good, Kevin. It's almost like you're a paint interpreter. All right. So this worship and warning, I like this mentality. It is a worship uh, psalm. It is a, a royal psalm in some sense. Some people would say maybe this was, and I always love pr- proposing these theories, right? Because if we knew it would be written. So since it's not written, you can't take this for what it is. It's just my thoughts. That's all it is, right? And so here it is. Some people would say maybe this is in references to the wilderness wanderings that David wrote. So David might have been writing about the wilderness warnings. And instead, and so then what he's doing is, is maybe he's writing this for the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so what I'm going to do is kind of want to walk through He's writing maybe about, this is your backdrop for Psalm 95, possibly. Okay, think about it this way. John MacArthur says, you know, people of Israel, uh, what did they do? What's the Feast of Tabernacles? They're remembering when they come out of Egypt and they were in the tents. And so then they actually build a little tabernacle. They build a little booth, right, for a week and they're remembering how God brought them out. Okay, so possibly that's what they're trying to do. They're remembering God's provision. So after a call to worship, There is a a prophecy in the voice of the Holy Spirit, okay, that breaks in and reminds the people of the dangers and the rebellion and tempting God. Okay, so they want them to keep staying focused. And in that, uh, it's kind of interesting. We don't want to go back. So worship me. But by the way, don't do what they did. So the first seven verses are like, hey, I want you to worship all that I am because I've gotten you to this point. But at the same time, please remember, don't fall back to their... Way of doing, So it really becomes, and it seems like, it's kind of funny, not always, but it seems like this week we have, it's kind of like this perplexity, Kevin. <laughs> we have this contradiction or we have this tension that there's one thing, but then there's also the other thing. There's the worship, but then there's the warning. There's God is eternal, but man is the brevity of life and we're just frail. It's kind of like this constant tension. And so again, what do you know, that's what you have for Psalm 95. So if we can, Kevin, let's begin to unpack uh, this tension. In verse one, it says this. uh, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Joy! Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. So the only thing I can think of when we're saying this is that that's what we're supposed to do. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Obviously, a a metaphor for for God is in reference to the rock of salvation And even, even, okay, you ready for this? Remember, I went to the paintings for a reason. Do you remember the Numbers painting? Do you happen to remember Mindy's painting? There's a foot on a rock. Do you remember that? Kevin, will you go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4? So we're going to go to the New Testament here, but let us shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. So in that period of the wilderness, right? Scripture is describing, Paul's describing this to the Corinthians. And he says, and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. That's a pretty powerful picture that Paul is writing about. But now if you go back to Psalm 95, the psalmist says, hey, by the way, we're shouting triumphantly because of the rock of our salvation. It sure seems to me Paul's tying in Psalm 95. What an awesome picture, possibly of what is being described, of how that water, spiritually, that water comes from the Lord. And in this process of shouting triumphantly, please remember to bring forth the energy and the delight of worshiping the Lord, as MacArthur says, in the temple. So come, let us shout joyfully. Here's what I want to do. I want to put in here. I think this is kind of interesting. Um, The mood is of celebration. So Kevin, I think if I, anytime I write the word mood, you got to go to the emojis, don't you? So Rich, which one do you think is our celebrating emoji? Probably the upper left. This one? Yeah. So there's a mood of celebration. There's an excitement that's taking place, as one commentator says. Uh, Think about this. In verse two, it says this. How do we celebrate? Well, let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him, in song. So how do we do this? Well, we, we shout loud, right? And at the same time, we're entering with thanksgiving. And I love that we're shouting triumphantly to him in song. So Kevin, you shouldn't ever deny the singing. Joy. <laughs> so then the question is, is why? Why shout triumphantly, Kevin, with excitement? For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The close out in verse 5 it says the sea is his he made it his hands formed the dry land. All right. Let's think about back verse 1. We're going to just why why are we celebrating? I think we try we're trying to show you remember our language is the king of glory, right? This is kind of fun to watch this unpack. So we already said in 1 Corinthians ten four that he is the rock of salvation. He provided the substance. He provided the drink. He provided the spiritual substance that they needed to get through uh, this journey. Now watch as this unfolds. So now it says he's a great king above all gods. Kevin, if you'll go to, let's just begin this process of Acts 2, verse 33. Again, I want to just kind of keep making the comparison. Is this exactly what they're talking about? Maybe, maybe not but I do think it's a cool comparison. In Acts 2, uh, 32, it says this, therefore, since he, 33, therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. So what you see is already this image of Jesus already being above everybody else. Okay, he is at the right hand. So there's this image of he is the king above all other gods. Now, if you go to, Uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And just all we're trying to show you is he is above everything. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Verse 10. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let me just pull back for a second. So we've already seen, right, that he is, this is, This is Jesus here in Psalm 95. Jesus, we've seen that he is the rock. We also see that he is what? Above all. Okay. Again, all we're trying to say is, is is there anything in this language of Psalm 95 that would point us to the King of glory? Now, if you keep going here, Kevin, can you go to Romans 8, 37 through 39? And the reason I want to go here is, and I think John MacArthur does a great, great job paralleling all this together together. Because in verse four, it says the depths of the earth are in, are in his hand and the mountains peaks are his. In other words, there's nothing that can separate us from him. So if you look in Romans 8, 37 through 39, it says, now in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that even death or life, nor angels or rulers, things present or things to come or hostile powers height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so what I love this image of when you go to the, how do we worship him? We, we worship him by shouting, right? We worship him by actually coming to his presence. Why do we pre- Why do we do this? Well, because he's above all. And why do we do this? Because nothing separates us. Yeah, it's just a different way to look at the Psalms. It's a different perspective to look at what is the unknown author writing about? And and is there even a bigger picture? And I think for me, when I see this, when you have this mentality, it's kind of cool because then in verse six, it starts to make sense. So you have this mood of celebration, right? And then you have another emotion and then it's contemplative. Okay, so Rich, go back to our little emoji buddy here. Which one would you be contemplative? Oh, uh, second row all the way down at the bottom, maybe. Him. Yeah, he's more happy contemplative. The other one's more sad contemplative. Yeah, and based on what we're going to see, it's probably both of them. So in verse 6, he says, okay, now that I've seen who God is, he's my rock, he's above all, nothing's going to separate us, which I think is absolutely incredible picture. He says, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In other words, I want you to to lie prostrate. I want you to fall on your face. I want you to humble yourself. I want you to reflect who you are in him. Why? Because he is our maker. Kevin, you want to go to Hebrews 1. It might be verse 4, but let's just see here. Yeah, two, thank you. In Hebrews 1, 2, it says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Hence, Jesus became, just like in verse 6, he became and and was and is our creator, our maker. So because of who He is in our lives, we have to realize we're celebrating Him, but at the same time, we're we're bowing down and we're worshiping Him. Verse 7 says, For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture. The sheep under His care today, well, let me just pause right there. So, in other words, how is He described now, Kevin? Shepherd. As a shepherd. John 10, verse 10, it says, verse 11, He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. So here's this 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 imagery you guys of of psalm 95 and I'm not saying he's describing Jesus okay I am just saying but boy there's a lot of things that that Paul would write about that the New Testament would write about that runs parallel it's almost like Matthew 5:17 is coming to fruition in, in Psalm 95 he says I didn't come to abolish or to destroy but I came to fulfill it's just kind of like this picture that the psalmist has Maybe after they're going into the wanderings and he wants them to remember all these things about God. He says, we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. So if this is the image of the sheep, okay? If this is the image of the sheep, now watch what he says in verse seven. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day at Massah in the wilderness where your father's tested Me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. OK, I just before we keep going, because there's a lot here with this illustration. All I keep going in my head is, is that we just heard an illustration that it's his sheep, right? And what does it say today if you hear his voice? Well, when you go back to John 10, verse, uh, is it verse 11? Uh, verse four, What you already have up there. When he brought all of his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him. Because they recognize his voice. Here's the issue that we're going to start getting into for the rest of this lesson today. Is that the sheep under the shepherd's care clearly hear his voice. But the question is, is do they do anything to the voice? Do they respond to the voice? And so you go from this celebration mood to all of a sudden this contemplative mood because they're realizing, man, we we didn't do that. And so here's the warning in verse seven. Please do not harden your heart. He says, as at Meribah, what was the event at Meribah? Do you guys remember by chance? I'll just go there. It's in Numbers 14. There's an event at Meribah. Where the rebellion was the first generation at Kadesh, right? And so then on at that day, uh, as on that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your father, what did they do? They tested me. Scripture says they tested me. They tried me. And it, crazy enough, though, they had seen what I did. In other words, there was a complaint. <laughs> of like there's just constant fighting. There's rebellion taking place. They did not trust that God would provide. And here's the crazy pe the, the crazy part is, is that if they would have just remembered what he had done, then it would be fine. So now all of a sudden, we, we, now we're entering into the, the warning phase. Guys, you worship me because of all that I've done in your life, but now you're forgetting all this. So don't harden your hearts at Meribah as on that day at Massa in the wilderness where your father tested me. In verse 10, for 40 years I was disgusted with that generation. Why? Because they chose to go their path rather than trust me. They didn't believe that I could provide water. They didn't listen clearly to what I asked them to do. So what did they do? They did it on their own. So then I, then the scripture says, I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they do not know my ways. When I read this phrase, their hearts go astray, really you have to tie it into they're not hearing my voice. Because at the very beginning, at the end of verse seven, he says, if you hear his voice, don't do these things. And it says these people whose hearts have gone astray. So how do you prevent from going astray? You hear his voice. You listen to his voice. The number one issue that I see in America today, big blanket statement, is people don't trust listening to the Holy Spirit. They don't trust the voice. They don't trust that the Holy Spirit could actually speak to them today. There's no way. What are you talking about? He has to speak to a pastor. He has to speak to a missionary or a teacher or an evangelist. But man, I I go to work from eight to five and I have three kids and I I have a button factory. (laughs) But like, because we undermine our identity in Christ, because we don't actually think we're qualified to be his sheep. I mean, this is really what it comes down to, you guys. Then that means we don't think we're qualified to hear his voice. Well, what do you mean? I'm following the shepherd. Now, is is the shepherd really calling me there? No, he... He doesn't do that to me. He only does it to the Moseses and the Davids and the the Jacobs and, you know, the Sarahs. He only does it to the big name patriarchs and matriarchs of the scripture. As sheep, he doesn't speak to us like that. But that's what the psalmist says. He gives us a warning. Do not, please do not be like the the, the forefathers that went astray. And they went astray because they do not listen to his voice. I got to ask you guys, what makes it so hard to listen to his voice? I think just, you don't even know that he's talking to you because you don't recognize it. I think sometimes because there's so many other things crowding it out. Rich, you want to add anything to that? I think yeah. sometimes it can be so simple that you doubt that that's really his voice. Yeah. You're like, can that be really that easy? You know. And I think for me, I overanalyze and I overcomplicate that thing. And when it's really, it's just the Lord just saying yes or no. And I think what we do is, because we, it is actually quite simple. Like hearing his voice is not difficult. What we do is, is we then, you guys have heard this many times. I think it's just really helpful. I have no idea who came up with this phrase, but I always think as, as followers of Jesus, as sheep of the shepherd, okay? As sheep of Jesus, the good shepherd, right? I actually believe that the first thing that we hear is from the Lord. I believe it's his voice, okay? So we'll just write this out here for a second. I actually believe in order to prevent us from having hard hearts, I actually believe we hear his voice. Then what somebody else wrote, which I actually agree, is then you actually, you hear your voice second of all. And that second voice, okay, says, was that really God's voice? Right. That's that's really what it is. You hear from him very clearly. And it might mean you guys go talk to your daughter about something you said yesterday. It might mean, I'm going to give you super practical examples. Your gas tank is at a quarter of a tank and the Holy Spirit prompts you, just go get gas. And you're like, well, that's too logical. That wouldn't be the Holy Spirit, right? So we just, we, we, we play these games of like, oh, that's just my mind thinking that. And so then you never allow the Holy Spirit to grow in your life to hear from Him. So what happens is you hear from His voice. Second of all, then you're saying, was that his voice? And then the third voice that I actually think, not that you necessarily hear, but you run through in your mind is you hear uh, the enemy's voice. And the enemy is saying, oh, what you heard, totally not of God. And so then you know what happens? You quench his voice, which you know what that leads to? Hard hearts. According to Psalm 95, it's absolutely mind-blowing to me that when you look at this text, that's exactly what he says. If you hear his voice, then you won't do these things. You won't harden your hearts. And then it says in verse 9, then you won't test me. You won't try me. And you won't do these things that the fathers did. For 40 years, he says, I was disgusted with the generation. I said, these, they are people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. They don't know his ways because they're not listening to his voice. So in verse 11, so I swore in anger, in my anger, that they will not enter my rest. They will not be given the promised land. That's what he's talking about here. So by the way, because you didn't listen to what I told you to do, what did you do? You decided to strike the rock when I told you not to. Because you didn't listen to the simple instruction that I asked you to do, you're not going to the promised land. And so then what happens? You get crusty, you get angry, you get bitter at God for not actually taking care of you, because you're in the wilderness, when the reality is is you put yourself there. Why? Because you didn't listen to the voice from the very beginning. So what I see is is these hard hearts. The reason I believe they're there, according to this scripture, and I'm going to prove it in Hebrews 3 as well, is just because we're not listening. Do not make this harder. It does not have to be like this crazy airplane flying by with the banner floating by. Rich, turn left. Kevin, turn right. Like it's, sometimes God can do that and he can totally do that. I just think he whispers in your ear. I think we hear from him. There are promptings from the Holy Spirit. Romans eight fourteen. Kevin, if you'll go there. Romans eight fourteen is super clear. It says, for those that are led by the Spirit, all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Well, if you're led by the Spirit, what does that look like? Well, the only thing I can conclude is, is that the Holy Spirit is in front of us and that He is actually taking us this way or that way, which would imply He's leading us. Now, that could come in two different ways, eyesight or hearing. But either way, you're looking for ways that the Spirit of God is going to lead you, ways that the shepherd is going to lead you. He might lead you by example or He might speak to you. But you know the kids, right, that don't want to listen in school? I'm not doing that. I'm not, I don't want to go that way. He hear you. That was like my inner kid that just came out. That was weird. But like, don't we do that with the Holy Spirit? Don't we do that with the Good Shepherd? I don't want to go that way. I want to do it my way. And then all of a sudden you're in your room and you're pouting and you say, I don't like you. And the reality is you put yourself there. Some of us are dealing with our own situations because we didn't want to hear the voice of God. And the voice of God can come to us through the scripture, but he can also come to us through the Holy Spirit that won't contradict the scriptures. And so when you see these examples of like, I can't believe the Israelites, they put themselves there. Honestly, I think a lot of us are there. I think a lot of us, our churches are wandering in the wilderness Because we're not listening to the voice of God. We're not listening to the Holy Spirit. We'd rather do it our way. And all I want to just say, it's very freeing when you follow the shepherd and you're not in control and he is. In Hebrews 3, if you'll go there, Kevin, verses 7 through 11, the writer actually quotes and references Psalm 95. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, look at this, this is crazy, you guys. Today, if you hear his voice, I love that, if. You hear his voice. If you hear his voice, then here's what you shouldn't do. Verse eight. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Don't like, oh, I heard from the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to talk to that guy about Jesus. You want me to give that guy 50 bucks? I don't even know my, he might use it for alcohol. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion or on the day of testing in the desert. Like listen to the Holy Spirit. Verse nine where your father's testimony tried me and saw my works, verse 10. For 40 years, therefore, I was provoked with that generation. I said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Can I just tell you, they don't know their ways, his ways, because they don't want to listen. At what point are we going to get to, as the body of Christ, willing and available, worshiping uh, individuals that say, Jesus, you lead me wherever you want me to go? And I'll respond, not, okay, you give me my best three options and then I'll choose. That's not how it works with sheep. Kevin. They kind of go wherever. And they like to follow each other over the cliff. (laughs) Can I just say, according to this example, because they followed their own way, they're in a place that's not their home. They're not in a place where God actually originally designed them to be. He says in verse 11 of Hebrews 3, So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. So here's what I want to just say. This is so drastic, but I think it's so accurate for where we're at today. Is that when you actually listen to the Holy Spirit, you actually walk into the fullness of God that he wants for you. You actually might start walking into the rest that he's designed for you because you're trusting him and not yourself. Why is the Holy Spirit so stinking controversial in American church? I think it's because people abuse uh, what they hear. I think they do things that actually don't align with Scripture. I think people do things for their own selfish gain. But the only thing I can conclude is, you guys, is as sheep, (laughs) we are literally supposed to do uh, everything in obedience. And it really, it doesn't actually, how do I put this? We do this because we love him and we do this because we want to obey him. We don't do this because it, there's anything in it for us. Maybe the sheep didn't want to go to that land. They'd rather hang out here. I, I actually do that a lot in my head. What, God, I, I'd rather be here right now. <laughs> I don't want to give up this in order to do that. That sounds crazy. But he says that's what happens when you get a hard heart. When you begin to tell the Holy Spirit, that's not you. And when you begin to say, I don't hear from God anymore. My challenge is, is maybe you need to ask the Lord if you have a hard heart. If you have a hard heart, can I just tell you, there's a really good way to break it. There's a really good way to be like, oh, yes, I can actually walk through this process. Kevin, if you go to Psalm 139, 23 through 24, if you're like, I want to hear his voice, I'm tired of having a hard heart coming up with my own stuff. Psalm 139:23 says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, know my concerns. So if there's any offensive, any offensive way in me, lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, God, would you start taking care of my heart and refine it? Because I really want you to lead it and I don't want to do it myself. That's what I love about Psalm uh, 139, 23 and 24. He says, this psalmist says, I recognize the effect on my life that the hard heart is actually impacting my decisions. It's impacting my thoughts. It's impacting my words. And God, would you search me in such a way that I am sorry and I ask for forgiveness for having a hard heart? And so, Lord, I'm just going to ask right now that there's somebody that's listening right now. They don't even want to have a hard heart, but they've just gotten to this point. They don't trust your voice. They only trust their own. And so, God, if that's the case, would you examine their hearts, test their hearts, show and refine their hearts in a way, Lord, that if there is a true repentant spirit, Lord, that you would break that hard heart and create a soft heart, which is like clay. So, God, I pray that the hard hearts today become soft hearts in such a way that we're moldable, (laughs) we're moldable so that we would look like you. So, Father, I just ask that anybody that is listening right now, break us from this hard heart mentality. God, we just want to be led by you. We don't want to go the ways of the Israelites who decided to do it on our own. No, Father, we we want to listen to your voice as sheep being obedient to the shepherd. We realize you are the rock. You are our salvation. You are our source. And the scripture says you're above all and there's nothing that can separate us. So, father, we praise you and we worship you that we can come to you and ask for help. Break us of these things, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.